Hello, Bridget here. Just a quick note before we start the episode. We've actually had this episode recorded for a few months now. Um, we recorded it all the way back in June, just after we'd been to see The Mousetrap at the Lyceum Theatre in Sheffield on the 3rd of June. We just wanted to let you know which production we're talking about in this discussion, as you might want to look it up. So the production was the 70th anniversary tour of The Mousetrap, and it ran in Sheffield from May the 30th to June the 3rd, and that's 2023. So we hope you enjoy our discussion of it, and without further ado, let's get on with the episode. exploring stories of murder, mystery and suspense. Um, I'm your host, Bridget, and I am joined by my co-host, James. Good afternoon. Um, We have a special new episode for you today. Um, It's not about a book this time, it's about a play. So we went to see The Mousetrap yesterday. Yeah, we went to watch it last night, which was um, Saturday the 3rd of June. Yeah, just in case we release this, like, in a, like, <laughs> in, in a while. Months. Yeah. <laughs> it was Saturday the 3rd of June, 2023, and we went to the Lyceum Theatre in Sheffield. Yes. Um, yeah, in the north of England. So, yeah, it was at the Lyceum. Um, the Lyceum. Lovely opportunity for us. The Lyceum is a very nice theatre. I enjoyed going there. It was an idyllic evening out. For both yes. of us. Yeah, yeah. Right. Because it was a very sunny evening. Um, yeah. So it was like a lovely summer's evening. Not very, we'll talk about this, but not really like in the mousetrap. <laughs> we <laughs> no. kind of got the feeling Slightly that it's... Slightly incongruous with the nature of the production. I kind of got the feeling it's meant to be, or it would be good to put, to watch it at Christmas, maybe. Yeah, or just during the winter. Or in the winter time. But we saw it in the middle of lovely summer. Um, so that was lovely. And the Lyceum Theatre is very nice. Yes, big up the Lyceum. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice theatre, um, and it's very cosy. It's not too enormous, is it? Yeah, oh yeah, no, it's great like setting. It's quite intimate. Um, yeah, so the... the Oh, we should say before we start, right, that normally we spoil everything that we talk about when in this show. Not, we don't... That sounds like we spoil it, like we make it sound bad, but we don't... We reveal the we ending, reveal, the yeah. details of the plot... We're not going to do that today. This yeah. is a spoiler-free episode. So this is a special episode where we won't do any spoilers. Um, We're respecting the traditions of um, the mousetrap. We'll, we'll make sure we don't spoil anything. So we will leave you kind of in the first ten minutes of the show mm-hmm. or whatever. We'll introduce you to the characters, but we won't tell you what happens at all. No. Um, yeah, so so you can listen to this episode, or our aim is that you can listen to this episode and then go and see the mousetrap. If you yeah, want to. it shouldn't spoil it for you. Um... This is because um, what we found out is subsequently is that there's like a tradition of not spoiling the ending of it. Yes. Um, Agatha Christie published uh, the, well, she wrote this play and then it was initially, it was a radio play for the Queen Mary, Queen Mary, who was the wife of George V. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, as a present to her, I think. Mm-hmm. That was the play. Um It was a short story. It was based on a short story. And she said... Which has never been published. Yeah, because she said... You can't read it. In the contract, 
to the play that none of the short stories, like the short story it's based on, can't be published until at least six months after the closing of the show on West End. And it's never closed. And it's never closed, so it's a very successful play. It's the longest-running West End show of all time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so um, as as people may know, um, when you go see The Mousetrap, the actors tell you not to tell anyone what happens. Yes, at the end. Yeah, it's like a tradition. So we wanted to respect that. Because um, it also gives you an opportunity to listen if you haven't. Yeah. Watched also, it. with you know, it's slightly different doing it for a play than for a book, right? Yeah. Because you know, if we tell the listeners we're about to read a podcast on the ABC murders, they can then go and read the ABC murders and yeah. then listen to the podcast. You Whereas you can't just go and watch the mousetrap on no. demand. And there's no film because they said they can't make a film either. Yeah. Which is reasonable because you know if the, she did make a, if yeah, you they want did, to preserve the value of yeah, the production of the play. Um, so it, yeah, it remains a play, and you can go and see it. We'd recommend you do. Um, <laughs> so without further ado, let us talk about the mousetrap. Yeah, and um, so we're going to begin by sort of talking about the setting. Yeah. Um, so can you describe the setting, James? Well, as sort of hinted at by you a minute ago, um, it's set during winter. Yeah. So uh, the the. The play is set at a newly opened guest house called Monkswell Manor. So it's like an old manor house. Yes, and we're introduced to Monkswell Manor by the proprietress uh, coming in from the winter <laughs> it's storm. It's a nice word, that proprietress. Yes, coming in from the winter <laughs> storm and uh, putting the radio on um, to the news that uh, a woman in Paddington has been murdered. Mm-hmm. Uh, by a, woman a man of middling height wearing a dark coat, dark hat and light scarf. Mm-hmm. And the, the proprietress who's just come <laughs> in takes off those items of clothing um, as they're listed by the radio to yeah. obvious amusing effects. Amusement. Yeah, and actually it's quite nice to be in the theatre with the Agatha Christie going on because... They are funny and people yeah, yeah. are laughing. Everyone like, laughs at the everyone jokes. Laughs. Yeah, so it's really um, nice. Yeah, so this is obviously a guest house. So, so the um, uh, Mrs. Ralston, who runs the guest house, arrives first from her daily errands, and then yeah. her husband Giles arrives Ralston. next. He's also basically everyone that arrives is wearing the dark coat, dark hat, and light scarf. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, yeah. It's a running joke. Yeah. Um, so he comes in next, and then they sort of talk about the people that they're going to um, welcome to the guest yeah, house. Yeah. So they're like newlyweds. They've been married a year. Yeah, they've um, been married a year, they've inherited the manor from yeah. Molly's aunt, and they decided rather than sell it, they will run it as a guest, a house. guest house. And they're in Berkshire, the countryside of Berkshire. Correct, yeah, yeah. so they're not far from London, they're where, not far where from the London. murder has happened. Yeah, they can travel there easily within a day and mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so yes, they, they, they one by one, their guests arrive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and first we have... It's not actually one by one. Two of them arrive together. Oh, wow. Okay. Sorry to nitpick. <laughs> first we have Christopher Wren. So the first person that arrives calls himself Christopher Wren. Yeah. Um, um, when he said Christopher Wren, were you immediately like St. Paul's Cathedral? Or did you have to think for a couple of minutes like I did? Like, oh yeah, what did Christopher Wren do? I don't know why. I just leaped over it. I think okay. in my mind. Fair enough. I guess you're not in the zone for thinking about yeah. uh, things like that. Uh, yeah, it took me a minute, which probably just references that I'm not too on the ball either. But yes, St. Paul's Cathedral. He comes. He says he's a trainee architect, and he's yeah. sort of close to completing so his degree. What's his personality, would you say? Um, he is a very sort of scatty and highly strung individual. He's hyperactive. Um, very hyper. 
he really annoys Giles, who's like a down-to-earth man's man, I guess. Um, yeah, I quite liked Giles. Yeah. Um, but he likes jokes and messing around. Yes, um, he's very silly. And he's uh, like desperate for friendship and attention. The, a lot of the characters are very sort of stereotypical, like the Christie characters, oh, but I actually thought he was not, a bit different. Yeah, he's not been in any... He has shades of like things from other characters, but... Like um, well, people like Robin Upwell, is oh, he called? Oh, Robin Upwell, yeah. Yeah, the sort of like cowardly people from time to time, yeah. which is what this guy is. Um, but yeah, I think I thought he was sort of the new character that we hadn't really seen before in a... Yeah, he's quite different from anything I've seen Agatha Christie yeah. before. Everyone else is like... <laughs> yeah, they're all stereotypes. No, this guy is not a stereotype. He's quite a sensitive individual, and he comes... It's quite a world... But these sorts of things, I guess, can evolve over time. As yeah. With a production that's run for as long as The Mousetrap has. Yeah. Um, so then we have Mrs. Boyle. Mrs. Boyle arrives with Major is... Metcalf. Yeah, they're not, they're not together. They just come at the same time. They share the same... Taxi. Oh, maybe they don't. I don't think Major they do. Major Metcalf maybe arrives with Miss Casewell. Maybe Metcalf arrives with some... Anyway, okay, Mrs. Boyle, next character. Yeah. yeah she's, she well, has... she's rude immediately. Yeah, she has very high standards. The reason she's staying in the guest house is because she has left... She doesn't want to live in her own house anymore because she can't get servants <laughs> to manage it for her. So she's decided to live out her life in hotels and guest houses. And as such, she expects to be well taken care of. And uh, because... The Ralstons have only just opened this place. Mm. Is it Ralston or Ralston? Ralston, I the, think. Because the Ralstons have only just opened this place. Um, they're not totally abreast of, you know, the niceties of running a posh guest house. Yeah. She, she complains a lot about lack of servants and stuff. Yeah. So complains this... about it being cold. Oh, Yeah. She again. What we've we've mentioned this many times on the podcast now. I think that this is a huge theme of people complaining in, in the post-war novels. In the post-war novels about not being able to get the servants. Like this is what's driven Mrs. Boyle to leave her house. Yep. And to live in guest houses. And it fundamentally changes the guest houses because the guest houses are now being run manually by the people that own them. Yeah. As opposed to those people owning it they having servants staff, do so, all of the yeah. dirty work for them. I mean, I think that if you read Miss um if you read the Miss Marple at Bertram's Hotel, there are a contingent of elderly people who are living in Bertram's Hotel because they want to live in a hotel. Yeah, yeah. Or they at least want to visit the hotel frequently to have the experience of being waited on. Yes. Yeah, and they would have been people who... And they are people who yearn for Edwardian times. Pre-war yeah. and Edwardian times, yeah. yeah. Well, I guess um, you have... They're in Faulty Towers, and yeah. they're really old by that point. But I guess they've been doing it for... They've been living there for years and years. I think that something in terms of 20th century history, particularly of women's lives, is like the change from having servant... For, for like slightly well-off or middle-class or upper-class women. Like, the huge change in the life. Yeah, I was, because it's, they, it's totally different. We were saying, like, because in, like, Mrs. McGinty's Dead, it's all about how they can't get the servants, and Mrs. McGinty is a daily... And they have a daily in Yes, they the do have a trap. daily. 
and um, it's quite different from having like live-in servants who will do everything for you. Well, the um, dailies are they're basically cleaners. They come in they to just, just the services yeah, do and, yeah. just cleaning, and they get as on opposed, the floor and they clean the floors. Exactly. They you know they but they don't have cook. like a live-in cook yeah. or a. Uh, housekeeper, someone yeah. who has sort of more responsibilities to the house. I guess there must have been more things for people to do in the those days after the war than. Just well, there was also an employment servant. crisis because thousands of people men had died. died. Yeah, yeah. So it gives more people more choice to do. You know, there also just aren't people available to do it where yeah. they used to be. Yeah, and Molly Ralston therefore has to cook herself. Yes, and or the- cook, clean. Um, all those sorts of things. And yeah. because they're new to it, they don't really know how best to manage these situations. Again, that's something that's came up that came up in um, Mrs. McGinty's Dead is the kind of crisis of being like a woman, um, like a middle class, or in, in, its, in Mrs. McGinty's Dead, it's an upper class woman who now has to do all these chores and can't cook. Yeah. And isn't good at them because they've never learned because they're of a higher class, but suddenly there's no servants, so you have mm-hmm. to do it all yourself. So at the beginning, she walks through the front room with a hoover. Oh, yeah, and she Mrs. hoovers. Boyle doesn't like yeah. it. Yeah, she doesn't she, I like think she, to begin with, she hoovers at, an, at, an, at the wrong time, and then yeah. she goes through the front room with the hoover and instead they of going of, around the back. They're, like, polite, but they kind of complain about the food, and nothing's quite good enough. Yes, yeah. Although a lot of Mrs. Boyle's complaints are quite unreasonable. Like, she complains about being really cold all the time, despite the fact mm. they're clearly in the middle of, like, an unprecedented... You know, the sort of snowstorm that you'd have once every 10 or 20 years. Yeah, yeah, it's really bad. The snow is really yeah. bad. They, they, basically, the story is that the roads are impassable, so they are snowed in in the the setting because it's like um closed community. Yes, it's, no it, one it's, can get it's in. It's a perfect closed You know, how many times have we heard this? No one can get in, no one can get out, or so we think. There are sometimes ways, but... Um, there's always ways. There's always ways, but sometimes... Never there are, well, there's not, else. because, like, the point of, like, and then there were none, Murder on the Orient Express, all those ones, mm-hmm. you can't get out, because you're literally on an island, or you're literally yeah, in yeah. a snowed-in train. Yes, it's, it's one of those things where the rules are set at the beginning. Yeah. You're stuck in the house. Something has happened to change this setting... And now we are frozen in time, mm-hmm. and yeah. we have no one, and no one can leave, and no one can get back out. Yes, correct. Yeah, so it's um, super mm-hmm. cosy, and works amazing on the stage, because we yeah. only get to see one room. Yes, the setting is just the front room of the um, yeah. of the guest house. This creates lots of really nice like uh, opportunities for drama and dialogue, because... People go in and out the doors. Um, yeah, there are doors to the side of the stage where you like can't see the rooms doors? that people are in. One, but you can hear two. people in those rooms sometimes. There's, there's, the, there's one on the left, there's there's the main door, there's the window, there's... There's the stairway. The stairwell, yeah. Which has a door by it. There's two Is doors the, on the right. Two, there's one by the stairs and one... On, and one on the very yeah. right. So there's five entrances and exits in Correct. total. Yeah. And how many characters? One, two, three, four, five, six... Seven, eight. So there's eight people, five doors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of running in and out of doors. And yeah. I like how the, the the fact that we're going in this one setting means that you get lots of different combinations of people talking to each other as people come in and out of the scene naturally. Yes, yeah. But it all happens in quite a short period of time. There's only yeah, one or two days. two days, I think. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I, think. I suppose murder mysteries, like, you would hope that 
most of them happen quite quickly and you don't have uh, like weeks of murders going on. It varies from um <laughs> They're mostly done in a couple of days, I think, the yeah, they are. and stuff. They are. Um, so I think there's the odd one where it goes um I'm pretty sure I can think of one that goes on for quite a long period of time. There's quite a few where um going back to Poirot once, there's ones where Hastings starts getting frustrated with Poirot because he's sat there not doing anything for yeah, that's true, actually. I am thinking. I like the fact that this is very... Con- um, like how in Agatha Christie, we are like paring down the story to the absolute necessity bleh, necessities for the plot. Yeah. We pair it out even more here. Oh, yeah, We literally absolutely. just have characters well, coming in and talking to each other and going out. Yeah, well, that's what you want for a, a play like this. Yeah. You, you need it sure. to be um, whip-cracking and... Yeah, really... Holding your attention. It really, but the variables are taken out. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Because it's so limited what you can and can't do on the stage. Added to which, it's, you know, it's not such a huge, you know, crime fiction novels, there's a huge uh, number available to you to Mm. read. Um, So you sort of, you have to like really, there's there's more incentive to play on details and be like, this is what makes this novel um, great. Whereas with the play, it's like, you know, the mousetrap almost stands alone. So you might as well just be like, look, this is a, this yeah. is a detective yeah. story, and yeah. we're going to stick to the basics yeah. and do them really well. Yeah. So would you say Mrs. Boyle is a uh, stereotype? Yeah, there's quite a lot of Agatha Christie um, older ladies who are irascible um, yeah. throughout her... She's quite unpleasant, I think, yeah, compared she with is. most. She is quite unpleasant. Um, major Met. She's very selfish, you know. Yeah. She frequently like demands to have a room to herself and yeah. won't allow other people to make noise or... Or anything. Major Metcalf is the next one. And he's just basically a stereotype. Yep, well, lots of these the, things that we well, talk about this, have this the old army a, man. I guess this, they are very at this time, Agatha Christie. there would be have been much more of an officer class. Um, yeah. And that'd be a type of person from yeah. a certain type of yeah. background. Um, so, yes, I, I expect... They are very polite, usually, and quite nice. Um, I guess they have that kind of, like, they're quite chivalrous and gentlemanly and they're often quite boring they're boring people yes. get bored by them and they ramble on about things no one's interested in yeah which major metcalf very much they're, does. they're sort of treated as quite gentle and nice aren't they yes generally i don't know what to say about major Metcalf. yeah uh, <laughs> have, you, have you read an agatha christie listener with a with an old army man in because Major Metcalf will be just like him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's quite funny. He's um, he's quite a comic character. No he, characters are... I, I get the sense Agatha quite liked these people. Yeah. So so Agatha like, quite liked these people, like, I think. Although they're not safe, of course, some of them did do the crime and occasionally. Nobody is safe. Nobody is safe. Everyone could have done it. That's the Even point. Even the nice people. Yes. But I get the sense that these are quite... They're quite favourably portrayed, I think. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Although they're not very sophisticated men. No. They don't contain multitudes exactly. No, they don't. I mean... Um, but they are generally nice. Major Metcalf is continually banging on about the architecture of the cellars. Yes. Because he's boring. He's a bit like that priest in Father Ted who goes on about his boiler all the time. Oh, uh, yeah. 
I thought you were going to talk about the one that says everything is shoddy workmanship. It's a bit like that too. Yeah. yeah. He's not actually, he's not criticising the man. No, no. But he's just really interested in the cellar. Arguably slightly suspicious to be a little bit too interested in the cellar. Indeed. Yeah. But, you know, we won't go there. Won't comment. Yeah. Um... <laughs> He's a very comedic character in this, yeah, he's but funny. again, slight digression. He does. This is a very funny play. It's very comedic in tone. Yeah. So a lot of the characters are there's a lot of lols. They, I think they're more stereotype than they normally are. Yeah, in the book. but they're you know they're they're deliberately hammed up for the stage, aren't they? Yeah. Do you think also there's an awareness that? The audience for the mousetrap is a bit wider than it is for the novels, potentially. Possibly, but I say also... That and then Agatha the Christie's mousetrap... like the best-selling author in the well, world. Well, this is what, leads I, up I, to what I was going to say. The mousetrap opened in 1953, and Agatha Christie was a really famous and successful novelist by then, so everyone going to see it, or majority of people going to see it, would have been totally aware of the ins and outs of her stories and detective yeah. stories and what the tropes and jokes and parodies of that could be. And yeah. would have known, like, would have been able to laugh knowingly at the things. Yeah, well, I don't know what is the, the. I mean, when you have such a successful novelist, potentially the most successful. Well, I mean, is she? She is probably the most. Yeah, I think she's the most successful novelist in the world at this point. Uh, yeah, she's the best selling yeah, best selling ever novelist in the world. Um, I'm I'm talking like really widely. Like, how many people? Like, proportion of the British public have seen the Mousetrap? It's probably quite high, but you know, it won't be. Everybody. Um, but I also don't know what it means to be the biggest selling author in the world. Well, like, I don't know how yeah, many people Yeah, obviously, have like, these books. when a lot of people who are Agatha Christie fans will have loads of Agatha Christie books because she wrote so many. That's true, yes. So, yeah. yeah. Playing and also, the another thing about Agatha Christie is I'm pretty sure she's extremely popular all around the world in different places. Yes. Whereas some, like, very popular authors are more like they'll be popular in the UK or whatever, or, but not so much yeah. in India yeah. or. China or mm-hmm. the US or whatever. Should we talk about the next character? Yeah, Miss Casewell, who I quite like the description of her on... So it says on Wikipedia, Miss Casewell, a strange, aloof, masculine woman who speaks off-handedly about the horrific experiences of her childhood. <laughs> standard. Standard. <laughs> In Agatha Christie land, that's like, you know, bog standard. Totally normal yeah, behaviour. yeah. But again, she's um, a very common character from Agatha Christie's. She's like the new woman who's engaging in um, modern ideas and wears trousers and other such dangerous stuff. Yeah, she was wearing... She had a nice outfit of, like, wide leg trousers and a little tie and waistcoat. A cravat. Yeah, a little cravat and waistcoat. It was very nice. Yes, yeah. Um, But yeah, she seems to be educated and stuff. Yeah, she's a woman of the world. Yeah. She gets the bows. clearly, like... Yeah. Young and mm-hmm. go guessing, but you don't know a lot about these people at the yeah. beginning. There's two types of go guessing women, though, in Agatha Christie. There's the the friendly ones, and there's the ones who are aggressive feminists. Yeah, do you think Miss Casewell's a feminist? Not necessarily, but she falls into that category. Yeah, the kind of the other type, the more positive, optimistic one, is what I describe as the plucky young woman. Yes, yeah. Ro- uh, Molly often, Ralston is a plucky young yes, woman. Yes, yeah, I, tr- I, I mentioned that at the beginning. Yeah, she's. The yin to Miss Casewell's yan. Yes, yes. And Miss Casewell does keep dropping in how she's got things in her past. Well, I, think, I mean, do, they actually. all do. Yeah. Everyone's going around going, oh, but I have something in my past. Yes. I guess that's, you know, it makes you interesting. Yeah, it? another fairly standard Agatha Christie thing. <laughs> but I don't want to talk about that now. 
There's no use dwelling on the past. <laughs> Let's not talk about that. We have to move on. Yes. They keep being very mysterious. Mm. It's great. Um, yeah, so the next character is Mr. Parabacini. Yeah. He this just is a very up, silly character. Rocks up at the door saying uh, his car's broken down in the snow. Well, he says it's broken down, and then later on they start so talking about how it's overturned. It's flipped over. <laughs> Gosh, that sounds very dangerous. Yes, yeah, so he turns up with just a handbag. Yeah. With his essentials in. And um, he's got like a... Uh, he sounded Italian to me. Yeah, he's European and overblown and romantic. Dramatic and yeah, exciting. Yeah, melodramatic and really annoys all the English people because they're so buttoned up. He brings a... I guess he's a bit like Poirot. These characters bring like a bit of magic to the yes. equation, I think. Yeah. A bit like um, Mr... Shaitana. Yes, I thought you were going to say that. <laughs> I was going to say Mr. Mistopheles, actually. <laughs> There's a Mephistophelian air about it. Well, him. that's why I was going to say Mr. Magical Mr. Mephistopheles. <laughs> the devil I cat. I don't know why. Yes, yeah. Like Shaitana. Shaitana, who was in Cards, Cards on the, on the table. table. Yes. I know. I mean, this is obviously like... Who likes to dress as the devil at parties. Excitement. Yeah. Magic. And a lot of jokes. Yeah, but also kind of like, kind of We don't of glamour, know what he's all about. It's yeah, sort of a bit mysterious, creepy. Mysterious, mm. like... He also appears at the storm. Everyone else yes, is booked, and yeah. he just appears at the door and says, can so, I have a room? Yeah, so we're immediately like... Oh, the, the first thing that happens that's strange is the storm. Yeah. The second thing that happens that's strange is the strange new stranger visitor. Yes. And the third thing that happens that's strange is we get a call from the local police. Mm-hmm. So the police... Not phone... explaining what's going on. No. They just say, we're sending a police officer around to speak to you. Be ready. Yeah. And they do. They send around a sergeant, Detective Sergeant Trotter. Yes, who appears at the window. Yeah, he came on skis. Yeah, <laughs> through the snow. Yeah, cross-country skiing, I guess. Um. Anyway, so he arrives. Um, and he comes and he tells us that he's investigating... The murder of the lady in London. Yes. Here's a pop quiz moment for you, Bridget. Oh. Can you remember her name? Mrs. Lyon. Oh, well done. Mrs. Lyon. Well done. All right. So anyway, he's come to investigate that because there's some connection with Monkswell Manor. Yes, there is. I think at this point we should probably not reveal mm -hmm. any more mm -hmm. of the plot. Okay. So we have a totally closed community now. We have a... A locked room, a locked house mystery. Well, we have a locked house with one way out, which is one pair of skis. Yeah. So I think we'll stop there in terms of talking about this plot and stuff because we don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so one thing that does happen that happens in a lot of Agatha Christie's is the lights go on and out a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On yeah. Well, off, sorry. It's in the middle of a snowstorm. Yeah. That's going to mess around with your power supply, isn't it? Lots of lights going on and off. Um, yeah. Um, also, it's particularly good when you're in the theatre, right? Because yeah, you experience you it at the same time it. as the characters. Definitely, yeah. Um, it happened in the film Glass Onion, do you remember? The lights yeah, but... It's just such a trope. Yeah. It means people can do things without anyone seeing yeah. and all the rest but of it. But I think, obviously, it's you should... creepy. For your first major play, you should definitely do that. So, one of the things that was immediately obvious to me watching it was the tone of it. Mm-hmm. 
So I think the tone of it is since we spend like a good amount of our lives reading Agatha Christie and talking about it, I think going to watch The Mousetrap, it was immediately clear to me that the tone is really different. Well, I mean, it's not really different, but it's a bit different because it's very comic. Oh, absolutely. It's like explicitly quite comic. Yeah, I don't know how a... much that was just the production we saw. I don't think it was. I think... No, it's written with jokes in. Yeah. You could smooth over them if you really wanted to and not pause for mm. comic effects and for time for I think it was a lot but... more of like almost slightly a pastiche, kind of yeah, like a absolutely. farcical kind of situation. Well, it was kind of in the vein of things like Glass Onion that are very popular yes. at the moment where it's very knowing about very the tropes knowing. of oh, crime yeah. fiction. Yeah, it's almost like mocking crime fiction a little yeah. bit. Which is good. I mean, it's just slightly... Definitely, if you're into Agatha Christie, it definitely tips over into, like, very, very knowing self-parody, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, But that's just a feature of it. I wouldn't say I feel strongly... Quite a lot of the books do that as well. Yes, they do, actually. They often talk about... I think we are actually really... I personally think I, when I come to talk about these things, am very influenced by the David Suchet productions, which at times were quite serious. Yes, and that's why I think they were really good. Yeah, I agree. However, totally agree. the books are more comic, aren't they? Poirot's well, a lot sillier in them in, in many ways. I feel ways. like almost every book someone talks about detective novels. Oh, this is... Oh, they always do, yeah. Isn't this like some sort of... If this was a detective novel, then I would just they, find some clue. I think, though, that they actually do in, like, every detective story. I mean, I'm reading... Dorothy L. Sayers at the moment and they talk about it in that all mm, the time yeah. and I think and I have read modern detective novels like you know by modern people like Val mm-hmm. McDermott and people like that and they often talk about detective yeah, yeah. but I think that's because when it's reasonable like it's because it's something everyone relates to and knows about that if you well and crime is a really really popular genre of fiction that yeah, loads yeah. of people have read yeah it's reasonable to suggest that you know, members of the public would start speculating about crime fiction if they were involved in a murder. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. um, because it's just the only point of reference people have. Um, yeah. One thing uh, I picked up on on this, which is just a very minor detail, mm-hmm. but uh, they mentioned that they all had their ration books. Yeah, to use as ID. Well, just to collect their rations. Right. Yes, yeah, still rationing in yeah. the 50s. Yeah. Mm. Right they they, the they of... were talking about it as in like we can check they're real people yeah. by having yeah. yeah. Um another thing they meant and something they mentioned that is like almost identical that's something that gets talked about in Mrs. McGinty's Dad is um the discussion of people can change their identity after the war. Yes. Yes. Particularly if you get brutally disfigured. But no, even if you're just like a nobody, yeah, yeah. you can become somebody else because there's a lot of movement going on, people are moving about changing their lifestyle, changing their livelihood. Yeah, people's ro- lots of people's roots got wiped away, houses destroyed. Yeah, husbands lost, yeah, all the exactly. rest of it. Families, Families broken dead. up. Yeah. Um, people moved to different parts of the country or world, um, growing up somewhere different, coming back years later. Yeah. Well, um, six years of total social upheaval that's never happened again since. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's important to think about how... Um, <clears throat> In those days, it would have been quite easy to change who you were. I mean, now we live in a much more like bureaucratic society now where you can't... And also we have like the surveillance of the internet and we have the surveillance of technology. Correct. We can't just up sticks and leave and go somewhere and pretend to be somebody else quite so easily. No, 
It was also a time of like totally unprecedented social mobility. Mm. People were able to rise or fall very quickly. Yeah, yeah. Um, in ways that hadn't happened before because previously stable social structures had broken down very significantly. Yeah, yeah. And there were no servants. Mm. It's you very important. You can't get servants yeah. these days. Gosh, can you and imagine? And none of the maids will wear an apron. I know. Well, they've probably given up with that by this point. This is yeah. the 50s. Yeah. Um, that's in the 20s when they're going <laughs> in Lord, um, in Roger Ackroyd when they're complaining that they won't wear a uniform. Yeah. Like, that, that's probably ship has sailed, I would mm. imagine, by this point. Can you imagine how horrified Mrs. Boyle would be if she saw how we live now? When we all basically do our own dishes. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. Terrible. Shocking. We're a bit limited when we can't talk about yeah. the ending. Because you can't talk about the development of the characters in the same and way. You can't analyse like the ins and outs of the plot. No. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, no. Nonetheless, it's quite fun to do. Uh, yeah, I'm trying um, to. I was talking. It's to you a little about... bit of a lateral thinking challenge, keeping it all um, under wraps. I'm, I'm glad we've done it because I, I do think it's nice to do something a bit different, actually. Um, yeah, and hopefully people will be interested and in also, hearing this podcast yeah, without worrying about. Yeah, and also there's something about um, not being able to talk about the ending that makes you think differently, so you start to think more about other things. Oh yeah, yeah. Where you it's have very to easy on the setup, don't you? in a way, though. That like, um, if you boil Agatha Christie, because we are probably at risk of boiling her down to the ending sometimes mm-hmm. of these things, because it's so fun to do oh, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's that's not the whole thing. And I think it's good to acknowledge that because um, some people who don't it will criticize her and say, "Oh, it's just like a puzzle, and it's just about who's done it." Mm-hmm. But it's not, I think. And by doing this, I think we're showing that it's not. Because I think there's so much more in there than that. Mm. Um, so, Bridget, the mousetrap. Um, where do you sort of rank it alongside the rest of Agatha Christie things? And I, I'd include TV and film adaptations in that as well. Uh, okay. Well, I don't. Yeah? It's not the same thing. It's true, different. True, true. Do you know what it's really good for? A night out? Yeah. It's a really good night out if you like Agatha Christie. You need yeah, to go absolutely. and see it. Yeah, if you haven't seen The Mousetrap and you like Agatha Christie at, at, at any level, yeah. which you probably do if you're listening to this podcast, then go and see it as soon as you can. Yeah. It's really fun. Oh, it's really fun. And you have to do it. I think it's one of those things you have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's a great piece of work and what a good play. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of... The Mousetrap, the play, like by Agatha Christie. I'm not talking about this production. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's Agatha Christie's best work. No, I wouldn't say it's absolutely her best thing ever, but it's her only major play. Yes. And I think and it's, it's, good. it's really good. Yeah. Um, and you know we're big fans, so we're yeah. like comparing it with like exactly the absolute with, you know pinnacle. Like there's there's loads and loads of books, so you can really get into the nitty gritty of what do you think, I think are the it's, best it's few. Difficult Whereas with this, it's the only one. So with with so f- such f- such short time, I think it's quite hard for them to do it all. Mm-hmm. You know, it's two hours long. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's going to be hard to produce something that works quite as well as the books. I think. Yeah. And I actually think that's why it probably... Other than the fact that I prefer them to be a little bit more serious than it was. um, Yes. I personally prefer that. Whilst it's a lot of fun for it to be very jolly and jokey, 
there are books that are like that um, by there Christy aren't. Richard. I don't think there's well, any there, that are no, quite that I, comic. No, I agree, but there are some of her novels are very light-hearted, yeah. and they're great, and some of them are a lot more dark and serious, and they're also great. It's nice to have both. Yeah, for sure. Um, this one, because of the lack of time, I think it can come across a little bit farcical at times. Yeah, it does kind of make you wish that there were more Agatha Christie plays. Yes, I think they could have done a lot with an extra hour. I don't know. I think you should, you, you know, Maybe. you need to keep these yeah. things snappy. Yeah. The fact that it is so comic and so fun. Yeah. yeah. That is not necessarily, like, that maybe the the movies that have come out lately, like The Glass Onion and Knives Out, and, I mean, we haven't seen the other ones. I don't think the one about the mousetrap. See how they run. Yeah, I think those things are quite, I mean, Glass Onion is certainly very comic. Yeah, they're in this so, tradition of... yeah. Um, very, poking fun at the genre. Yeah, it's like a parody. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's a sort of gap of 20 years between that and the golden age, really. Oh, yeah. So enough time has elapsed for us to start, you know, but That's for what I was saying about when it opened, it. that, like, by 1953, Agatha Christie is already a literary behemoth, yeah. and everyone knows her books and what they're like yeah. and knows how to laugh at them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, definitely go see Really, really Yeah, good. absolutely. We had a lovely time. I, yeah. If in some parallel universe Agatha Christie had written five or ten plays, I would yeah. be absolutely thinking, I'd go and see more of these. Oh, definitely. Really good fun. But unfortunately, um, she didn't. No, um, because she was too busy writing loads of great novels. Writing hundreds of novels. <laughs> yeah. Um, in terms of the Lyceum production, like, what do you think? Re- well, really good. I mean, great, this is yeah. basically the original production <laughs> yeah, that has great. run since 1953. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. The cast obviously gets replaced, um, I think, annually. I like how pared down it is. I like how it's just the one room. It's just the two days. Like, it's yeah. just very... Like I was saying, there is the element of the detective novel, which is like a puzzle. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's only a puzzle, but it's like a puzzle. So, you know, you have all these extra factors. And if you... Scale it back, you're getting down to really like the the actual puzzle. It's very pared back. It's yeah, very I mean, basic. At their essence, they're about characters and, and um, people interacting with each other. Yeah, and that's what and that's you get all you on need. The stage. Yeah, and the acting was obviously like really really good. Yep. Yeah, and it's great to see you know because the characters are all super different from each other because they're all quite mm. <laughs> they're all kind of stereotypical and stuff. Yeah, I don't know what to say other than it was a great night out. Yes, and we recommend it to all our listeners. We recommend it. Okay, right. Um, would you have a verdict? Um, my verdict. Yes, very good. I enjoyed it. Lots of fun. I would go and see it again. Yeah. Not yeah. not right not, away, not obviously, tomorrow. but I would go and see it again in a few years. A few years' time. Yeah, we'll be there. Yeah. And I know that they fun have... Fun for all the family. That's that's another point I'd like to make, actually. I would say it's pretty child-friendly. We like, didn't see any you know, children, though, No, though. small children, you know, they might struggle to follow it a little bit. But, like, it's yeah. not like... There's nothing explicit. No. I th- pretty much all ages could enjoy it. I'd yeah. Say. I think it might be a bit wasted on a child younger than 12. Yeah, but... but um, well, maybe not 12. Maybe, like, younger than 10. Yeah. But, but other than that, yeah, I think that it would be great. That doesn't people out. Yeah. No. So, bring your children. Educate them. Yes. Start them early. Uh, indoctrinate, indoctrinate them. Indoctrinate them. Yes. Okay, right. Thank you so much for listening. Yes. We have had a lot of fun. We have. Um, and we'll be back very soon for another exciting story where we'll talk to you about another novel. Yes. I think, probably. Probably. Um. So, yeah. 
Have a lovely day, evening, whatever you're doing. And we will hopefully see you later. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you.